Hello, friends. Welcome to Not Your Basic Badass Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Shumway, and I'm here to teach you how to harness badassery by anchoring into authenticity, embracing vulnerability, and dreaming big to create joy and fulfillment in your life and relationships. What do narcissists and golden retrievers have in common? Stay tuned to find out. And stay tuned to the end of the episode for a powerful pep talk where I share my beliefs about the innate worthiness in all of our neurodiverse brains. So friends, there are some big life transitions going on in my life right now. I just moved back to the United States after living in China for three years. So I'm repatriating, getting used to the new city, getting used to being around people that speak my language, which in most ways is a very pleasant adjustment, if I'm being honest. I am getting used to living as a full-time entrepreneur in my business and everything that goes along with it. Time management, scheduling, unpredictability, vulnerability, risk, putting myself out there in in a new way. And the third big transition is learning to talk to myself in a deeply loving and compassionate way. And through each of these transitions, I've noticed how often my brain tells me the story that I'm doing it wrong. It's like this narrative that kind of is constantly running in the background and was brought to my attention from my coach when I was just, you know, going off and telling her all the things that were going on. And I was like, yeah, I just feel like I'm doing it wrong. And she was like, Rachel, you say that a lot. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, I do say that a lot. And if you guys listened to my last episode, How to Level Up, I asked for a really big level up um, in my decision to move back to the United States. And in that always comes a lot of chance to, you know, stir the pot, let all the crap come to the surface so that I can deal with it. And so in this process of leveling up, this story of how often I do it wrong has come up over and over and over again. And I've created a process that I've really been going through in this last week of deep, deep healing and learning to love myself in a a way that I really did not know was possible. And this is a story that's been instilled in me for a very, very, very long time. I'll go into a little bit more of the details and give some examples in this episode. And I encourage you to look in yourself and identify a belief that you may be to have told yourself for a very long time about how you've done something wrong, how something is wrong with you because of XYZ, and see if you can kind of follow through this process that I'm going to share with you, and then take it out on the streets into your own life and see if you can try it on on your own. Because on the other side of really going through this is truly, guys, deep healing and self-intimacy in a way that I have never experienced before. So in my desire and commitment to learn how to talk to myself in this new way, I've gone far back and done some really deep healing and trauma healing this week. And I want to share with you exactly how I did that and how you can do it too. So the first thing that I did was to become aware of the story. So in this case, I noticed how often I was telling myself that I was doing it wrong. Like I actually wrote down on a piece of paper all of the stories and all of the things that I thought was doing it wrong that I thought I was doing wrong. And I made a tally mark at the top of the page of how many times this narrative came through in my subconscious programming. Guys, it was a lot. And I asked myself where this narrative came from. So I asked myself, where did this story come from? And 
two little memories came to mind. So when I was in, it would have been fifth grade, I um, had this friend who took it upon herself to kind of become my tutor. I decided that I wanted to get better grades in school. I wasn't doing very well in school. I had just been diagnosed with ADHD. I was really trying to get better grades. And so, you know, I told my parents, I was like, I'm going to work really, really hard this semester. And I want I want to try to get all B's. I want to just try and get all A's and B's. I was really, really struggling. And I told my friend this as well. And she's like, yeah, of course, like, I'll help you, right? And so I was like, this is awesome. My best friend is going to help me. She's really smart. She does great in school. The teachers love her. Um, and so, you know, the teacher kind of got on board and put me and this friend next to each other. And, you know, as she was helping me with my homework and doing all of, all, you know, tr trying to support me, at least that's what I thought she was trying to do. A lot of really traumatic things happened. She would make me rewrite things. She would be like, that looks terrible. You have to rewrite it in cursive. You're doing it wrong. When I would fidget in my chair, she'd be like, what are you doing? Sit still. Um, there was one time that I remember really, really, really having a hard time learning. And she wrote me a note and basically was like, you just need to try harder. It's really not that hard. You just sit still and put your attention on the teacher. And then you should be able to listen. Like, you're not doing a very good job at achieving your goal. Like, you suck at this. Um, and I, I, I remember going through all of that and watching myself have that experience from the outside perspective. And I wrote down all of the beliefs that that part of myself had, that fifth grade brain. And the brain you know, took me back. I identified all of the pain sensations in my body, a very heavy squashed sensation in my chest. And I made a mental note to look out for that sensation because that physical pain, that emotion was an indicator that the trauma was active and was ready to be paid attention to. So I ended up writing out 18 pages <laughs> of negative beliefs on a word document that's how much needed to come up some of them were i can't learn fast enough my teachers hated me in school i was a burden and a distraction even when i had a tutor and a helper i still didn't get good enough grades i don't have enough grit or willpower to get things done i'm not cut out for learning and creating there's a a universal force that hates me and is out to fuck me over things have always been dark and harder for me because of the way that i learn and all of these things, all of these beliefs were things that were modeled to me or taught to me as a child with ADHD in a classroom setting that is really not set up for people that don't like to learn about everything. Ad people with ADHD brains have an incredible capacity to learn things that are interesting to them, to stay in the space of creative focus for hours and hours and hours on end in a way that I think most people are like, how do you do that? You, you're like, you're cranking things out so efficiently. But if the brain isn't interested in it, then it's like, yeah, whatever. We don't really want to learn. So I got all of the bullshit out and I was ready to go deep. I was so prepared and really in this mental headspace of like, Rachel, we're ready to heal and I'm going to be here for all of this. So this process took me several hours, but you don't have to do it for so long. Um, and then also, I do recommend if this is your first time doing any sort of um, healing work, that you set a timer for yourself. Um, come back to it in chunks. 
when you feel like it's it's gotten too much, you don't want to get caught up in the story and really believing all of the negative things. The whole purpose is to get the beliefs out on paper and to, to go not just from the conscious story of like, I'm doing it wrong, but really like, what does that mean? What am I doing wrong? Why am I telling myself that I'm doing that wrong? Like, what does that mean about me? And go into the deeper subconscious programming of things because that's when you're able to kind of get this awareness and these aha moments of, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense why I've been feeling this way this whole time is because this narrative has been running in the background. But the point is just to observe them, but not to absorb them. So come into it with, you know, a fresh and observant headspace. And when you, you know, reach the end of the timer or you get to a point that it's like, okay, I think this is enough, then give yourself the space to put it down and come back to it. So that's the first piece. Now, the second part, what I did after I had let that inner wounded part of me speak was set it down and come back to it. I grounded myself in light and truth. And what I mean by that is I got more in connection with who I really am in my truth, in my essence. I said a prayer, I meditated and I connected with um, the highest part of myself that feels very grounded, very stable, very confident, very fun and playful and whimsical. The the things about me that I really, really love the most. And I got into that energy. I felt the energy of steadiness and truth. And then from that place, I went back to the girl that struggled in the classroom. And like I said, I had this word document of 18 pages of negative beliefs, things that I was telling myself about me, about my capability to learn, about my capability to love and to be loved. And I took every single sentence and I flipped it on its head. In another column, I separated the page into into separate columns. I wrote the truth from the highest version of me. One of the beliefs that I was really struggling with, right, is that I just can't learn. My brain is not capable of learning. It's not plastic, it's stubborn, it's finicky, it just, it doesn't want to change. Like, my brain lacks plasticity (laughs) was like one of the things that, um, that kept coming up. And so what I did was from the place of light and truth and groundedness, I flipped it on its head. And what I came up with was what my brain lacks in plasticity, it makes up for in problem solving. My brain is wired for out of this world success because my brain is out of this world. I was sent to my teachers to stir the pot. My wiring is a gift because it allows others to reconsider the way they do things. I am not broken, I am a change maker. Standing out in rebellion towards love is a natural path for me and something that I do very, very, very well. So that's the third part. And that part in the beginning was a little bit difficult because if you think about it, the negative narrative, the debilitating story that I was telling myself about how I'm unlovable, I'm stupid, I'm not cut out for this, has been running in the background for solid 20 years of my life. And so coming to this place, you know, being in in a cleaner energy, right, it still takes effort to come up with these new beliefs. And the first couple pages, it was kind of like, okay, um, 
I can't do this. Well, the opposite of is it is I can do this. That doesn't feel very compelling and it doesn't feel true. Um, and so it kind of took a little bit of energy to get the ball moving. But the more I opened up to it and the more that I decided that I'm going to make these truths that I'm flipping as fun as possible and as weird as possible. I'm gonna use all of the funny words. I'm gonna make it an enjoyable process. I'm gonna be sassy. I'm gonna have fun. The easier it became and the more it became kind of like a game and I was able to reconnect to the positive, powerful energy in my body. Um, so saying things like, I am unwavering in my value of my truth. My lovability is fixed and given up birth. And I'll tell more at the end of the episode because I have this whole plan that I've laid out that I, I'm so excited to share with you. But some of them like get a little bit funky and a little bit weird. But the whole point is that it becomes an experiment of how you can rewrite this narrative that you have about yourself. That's the third part. And then the fourth part is as I began to write this, the new story, I noticed it. I started to notice that there were still resistances that came up. So I observed them and then asked those parts of me, the parts that were still telling me, you're not worthy. You're not like, you can't do it. Nobody's going to want you. I spoke to those, to those places from my highest tr truth, from the place of steady groundedness. And I said, look, you don't get to talk to me that way anymore. We're, we're not available for that. Are you willing to step aside? I know that you're probably thinking that you're protecting me. That was one thing that I said, but I asked them that that part of me, the shadow, if it was ready to step aside, gently pushing, nudging, illustrating the benefits of changing, comforting her that it was okay to admit that she had been harmed and abused. I remember one particular um, memory that came back to me was that I was sitting on the bus with this friend in fifth grade and we were playing this game and I don't even remember exactly what she said, but basically she ended up saying like, no, that's not true. And also your eyes are gray. Your hair is dirty blonde. My hair is blonde and my eyes are, are blue. And I remember just sitting there and like crying. It's like, what is wrong with me? What did I do wrong to deserve being talked to like that? And why am I unable to speak up for myself? I was in like a freeze response. My nervous system was in a like a fight, fr fight, flight, freeze response. And I was not able to say anything. And I also thought at the time that if I did say something, the abuse would worsen. We were sitting on a bus on a field trip and my tutor that was there observed me crying and she asked us what was wrong and my friend i shouldn't call her my friend this chick she was like well we're just having a disagreement and she keeps saying blah 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 and anyways this chick totally spun everything on me and my tutor looked at me and she was like you know i know you guys have your struggles and i see that you're best friends too and Rachel, just know that not everybody is cut out to be a lion. Some people are just golden retrievers. They're followers and they just like to follow the leader. And this girl, you know, Taylor, what's her name? Taylor is, she's a lion. And so it's just like you have to follow her. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I was like, you're the sweetest tutor ever. How is it that it's not possible that you can see that I am a lion? 
I mean, if I swore at the time, I would have thought to myself, I'm a fucking lion. But I just remember feeling so squashed. And so taking those truths that I had come up with of I am a powerful, steady beacon of light. I stand for love. My value comes from my perspective and my existence. And taking those truths and surrounding her in a loving and comforting hug. I gave myself, physically gave myself a hug. I stroked my hair, kissed, like, kissed my hands and told myself, like, it's okay. Pain in my chest came up. I started to feel a lot of tension in my ribs. And so I, like, just put my hands on it. And I was like, I'm so sorry that you're feeling this, this pain. I am here for you. You are so safe. You are so held. I love you so much. And I went back to the moment on the bus and I imagined myself sitting next to my, my other self and holding her and saying, it's okay, Rachel, it's safe to speak up. It's safe to say, you don't get to talk to me like that anymore. I told this girl, look, you do not talk to people like that. If you do it one more time, this friendship is over bar none. I would have held and, and I, I held the hand of this small girl as I walked to tell the teacher exactly what had happened. And I imagine the teacher and my parents and the tutor all holding me in a warm, loving embrace, which is what I truly felt I wanted as a child. So from the resistances, I noticed, okay, there's still more that's coming up here. There's still parts of me. There are still memories that you know, need comforting and need love and need some extra healing balm applied to it. So that's the fourth part, is to notice the resistances and to go back and apply those truths to the parts that still feel wounded. And the fifth part was to identify the emotions that are associated with that shadow and with the light. So the shadow part of me, of this old narrative, was feeling wounded and squashed and shame, brokenness. And then on the side of light was steady certainty, playful rebellion were the voices of light that I noticed within myself. And this becomes a road marker for future stories that I will uncover and undo. Just last night, actually, um, I woke up at about three o'clock in the morning and I was, I noticed myself like so frustrated. I was like, come on, Rachel, why can't you sleep? And I caught it immediately. I was like, there's that narrative again of you're doing it wrong. Like you can't even sleep. And I was like, you know what? No, we're not doing this. So I pulled out my journal and I started to write. And I wrote about four sentences and I got to a sentence that said, nobody wants a broken girl. And from that, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And I feel a lot of heavy shame right now. I wonder what this is about. And so I asked myself, I was like, self, are you ready to go there? Are you willing to, you know, go back to this memory and revisit it so that we can relive it and close the trauma loop and start a new cycle and immediately I asked myself that and this memory came to mind um, back to another period of deep shame where I noticed the story of I'm doing it wrong uh, when I was living in China for the very first time this was 2013 or so 
I remember writing a letter to my ex-husband about my suffering. I was very depressed at the time, um, living in a very small rural village in China. It was just me and my ex-husband. There were no friends. I was very disconnected from my family. And I remember writing him a letter about my suffering, about how terrified I was of the darkness that I felt, of my shame of my inability to just feel happy. One of the things that he would say all of the time was like, why can't you just be happy? Like, you should be happy. There's so much to be grateful for. Like, we have each other. And why isn't that enough? Like, why am I not enough for you was kind of the the message that I think he was coming from. But what he would say was him blaming me. And so I I went back and I remember writing him the letter. And I remember him saying, I don't know what to do. I just, I don't know how to handle people with depression. And the feeling of absolute rejection in that moment, I noticed it. And I remember crying and crying and crying for hours because it was like the one person in the world. My new husband, we'd been married for, I don't know, maybe three, four months at the time. Um, my new husband, like the one person in the world that I'm supposed to be able to count on forever. He, he doesn't love me. He can't handle me. This is really hard for me. And he would say things sometimes of like, you know, this is really hard for me, like being married to you. I, I kind of miss the single life and the freedom. Sometimes I wonder if, if we should be together. And those things, like <laughs> the abuse that I took from him, not without even really knowing it. I guess that's the subtlety of narcissistic abuse, right? Is that you don't know that it's a red flag. You don't know that you're being gaslighted until you've come out of it. So again, I went back and I wrapped myself in the tightest hug and I, I remember feeling like rejection physically because he didn't like care for me physically in the way that I needed to. And so I just, I like put my hands on my knees and I started rubbing my legs like, and just telling myself, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. I love you. I got you. You are safe. I love you. I have you. You are safe. And I repeated that over and over and over again. And I, I cried. And of course, mind you, it was like three o'clock in the morning. So I think maybe the exhaustion from having woken up in the middle of the night probably made the emotions that much more tangible. But eventually I kind of got to a place, right? My body was still aching. I still felt the residual shame, but it wasn't the the same sense of heavy, sticky, tar feeling that I normally associate with the emotions of shame. It was residual tingles of shame. And so I kind of, I was like, okay, like we've got this, that part of me is healed. And I know that as I keep going throughout these weeks, this is going to be an ongoing process for me. Um, as I am really committed to this level up and letting go of those past stories and not just telling myself that I can do it. I can do it. I can do it because a part of me believes that a part of me knows that I can build this empire. I can find the love of my life. I can absolutely rock this whole entrepreneurial thing and I can do it in my way with depression, with ADHD. There's a part of me that knows that that feels it deep within her body. And then there's a part of me, those old wounded parts that still need tending to. And so I just go back and I put myself in the shoes of that girl in China and all of the other memories <laughs> um, 
that I experienced with him of what I would have liked to say, how I would have protected her, what would I do as my highest self now to set boundaries to say, I don't want to be treated that way. This is your issue. It's not mine. I go back in time and I replay the memories from a space of really, really, really honest, true commitment and connection to my highest self. And like I said, that part might seem a little bit tricky and inaccessible in the beginning. Don't get frustrated with the process. Take it in chunks and notice the things that are true about you that you do believe and use that as kind of the healing balm for whatever memories need to be healed. So some some key things to note here is if you want to uncover the first belief and then go deeper, just keep asking yourself, what does it mean? Why is that a problem? What are you afraid of here? What did you need at that time? Keep asking your shadow or the, you know, the inner child, the part that has been wounded or um, mistreated or unjustified. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but having an act of injustice committed towards her or him. Ask yourself until you feel that like aha moment. Like no wonder I've had shame about this all my years. It's because she said this to me and I believed her. And that's continued and continued and continued. But I have the choice to release that, to surrender it, to let it go. And in the space that that negative emotion and that that lie, frankly, was filled, I'm going to fill it with love and compassion. The second thing is give yourself rest and marinating time here. And the key here too is if you do not feel safe to do this on your own or if you feel a lot of heaviness, then come back to it. Like you do not have to run faster than you have strength here. Um, be gentle and compassionate with yourself. And if you need a guide or a friend to be there physically when you do that, then that may be useful for you someone that you trust and it can be someone walking through it with you like actually side by side with a therapist or a coach or a guide or a mentor whatever but even just you know I did this process all in my journal right or in a word document just having somebody in the other room to be there or or saying hey I'm gonna try something will you be available for a call or something later on if I need it because this process can be very emotionally intense um, and then the third thing is that you want to spend more time in the story flipping and reliving and visiting those new beliefs. Um, make sure that you are feeling the energetic release of that old story. It's like an orgasm. It's unmistakable when it happens. <laughs> you know when it's happened because it feels like the emotion just kind of melts away. It's like, oh, okay. I got this. It moves on. It doesn't feel better automatically all the time. It can, but it doesn't always happen that way. And then once you get that, like, you know, it's like you're emptying out this cup of dirty water. Once you get that open, you want to fill it as quickly as possible with those new positive beliefs. So the other real fun benefit about this is that now I have a whole word document with a whole list of truths about me, about my abilities, about my bravery, courage, worth, mission, and badassery. Um, 
And like I said, just keep writing, just keep flipping, just keep finding new truths. The more you connect, the more amazing beliefs will be able to come out. And then I just went through and I bolded the ones that I really liked. I copied and pasted them into this Word document. And now I'm going to revisit them as frequently as I need to because the brain might take a little bit of time to have this new narrative come in. In many, many ways, I can see it and I feel so much lighter and more free and more open. But I also know that, you know, the brain likes to do the, the, do the same thing and believe the old patterns. So anyways, here are some of my favorites that have come out of this process. My brain is a motherboard of incredible resilience and it's working exactly as it is supposed to be working. My neurochemistry is a gift. I decide to have a positive opinion of myself because I can. If I choose to be delusional, I'm going to be delusion, delusional in fierce belief of myself. If I believe something is true and I feel the light of it in my body, then that is all that matters. I'm unwavering in my value of truth. I'm unavailable for being taken advantage of because I say no the second something feels wrong. I value my own approval and I give it freely and unconditionally. I love, I will always love no matter what. It is who I am. Nothing is missing. All of the pieces and resources are right in front of me. My brain is wired for out of this world success because my brain is out of this world. My emotions are a powerful compass and the first indicator of truth. My clients are the bravest and most resilient humans on the planet. I have a solemn duty and privilege of inviting others to the highest level of their potential. I just get to love them. I can have well-being and safety and love. I get to have it all. I am a powerful, steady beacon of light, and that is the truth. And last but not least, my personal favorite, I am a valiant motherfucker backed by the strength and army of angels. Oh, and I like this one too. I create ideas and pathways in a magical way thanks to my ADHD. So there you go, my friends. This one was a little bit on the longer side, but I really do hope that you'll take some time to start to dig into this work and take care of yourself with self-regard, with love and compassion because you are so worth it and I love you. And I would also love, 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 love to hear about your experience with this process, what kinds of things you've learned ahas and um let me know i am on instagram at the badass academy you can also reach out to me on facebook my name is rachel shumway i'm on facebook or yep those are the two ways that you can get in contact with me on my instagram there's the link tree and there's a link in my bio if you also want to book a call and go over this process with me as well you can for sure book a chemistry call so have a wonderful week my friends you are so lovable and so worthy. Hello friends. If you found this podcast useful, I would love, love, love if you would take a moment of your time to head over to the iTunes podcast to give this podcast a review and a star rating. This helps me to get the tools of badassery out into the ears of more incredible women and men and to further the work of living authentically and vulnerability vulnerability <laughs> in the world so if you found this podcast useful head on over to the itunes podcast store 
and show the Not Your Basic Badass podcast a little bit of love. Talk to you soon.